Today's reading is Luke 12, 1 through 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you for whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace kids, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace. My name is Jake. Uh, I am our high school pastor. And, uh, oh, I got a cheer. Thank you, Matilda. I paid her to do that. All right. Uh, no, as always, though, it's, it's just great. I love being able to preach. And uh, so thanks for letting me do this. All right. Normally, I come up here as a Star Wars nerd, but today I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Do I have any Lord of the Rings fans in the house? Whoa! I knew I had at least one because Mike's wearing a Lord of the Rings shirt today. Unplanned, but perfect. Uh, well, I haven't read the books. I know, I know. I'm, I'm not that patient, but I love the movies, okay? I love the movies. And one of my favorite scenes in the movies comes in, in the final movie. It's called Return of the King. <clears throat> And it's, it's uh, towards the end of the movie. It's the last big battle. Okay, all the armies of men, that's what they're known of, they've assembled in one final push against the armies of darkness at Sauron's gate. Do I sound like a nerd? I am. And you are too, all right. They're there. They're ready for this fight. But as the gates open and the evil orcs start to walk out, as you watch the movie, you, you see that the men standing there start to be afraid. They start to kind of step back. They're, they're looking side to side. They're afraid. 
because they're getting a glimpse of the opposition that's in front of them. Now, King Aragorn, or Aragon, as some people say, that's him, he's the guy with the big sword, you could probably guess that. He sees their fear, and, and rather than ignoring it or, or just saying, don't be afraid, he takes a moment to stop and reframe their fear. And I was gonna try to get the video clip, it didn't work out, so I will have to be your stand-in Aragorn, Aragorn today, so I'll do my best. Here's the speech that he gives. I love it. He sees their fear and he turns around, he pulls out his sword. He says, hold your ground, hold your ground, sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. And then they all, shh, you know, pull out their swords, and then it's this epic battle, and I totally nerd out. But I, I love this scene, and I get chills when I watch it, because it's this great moment where people are afraid. They see the opposition that's coming against them. They're terrified. And rather than letting them just sit in that, a leader steps up and reframes their fear. He meets them in their fear. He helps them walk through it. And I think in a way, that's, that's how we can think about the passage that we're looking at today. Now, I will be the first to admit, this is a complicated, complex, convoluted passage. I, had to, I figured that out as I studied it this week. And it can be a little bit hard to tell what's going on here, but I think, bottom line, what Jesus is doing here is he's preparing his disciples, his followers, his friends, as he calls them, for how, like Aragorn's doing, to take a stand against the opposition that's coming their way. And he's helping to reframe their fear. And so, uh, as followers of Jesus today, we're going to jump in with these first century followers of Jesus and listen to how he helps us to reframe our fears in the midst of opposition. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 12. And if you want to use one of the, the blue pew Bibles... You can open up to page 871. <clears throat> Luke, Luke chapter 12. So context is Jesus is uh, well into his years of ministry now. We're, I should have looked before. I think we're about halfway, yeah, we're almost halfway through the book of Luke at this point. And while overall Jesus has enjoyed a lot of success, He's had some pretty great moments, feeding the 5,000, healing lots of people of diseases, the transfiguration. A change is starting to happen. The opposition to Jesus is very clear. If you were here last week, Pastor Will um, preached on the, the six woes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. If you follow rap, he basically like dropped a diss track on the religious leaders of his day. And they're not happy about it. The battle lines have now been clearly drawn. Whereas before, 
Overall, Jesus has enjoyed uh, success in the celebration of the people that's going to start to change. He's ticked off the people who have some real power in this society. And so again, he wants to ready his disciples for the fear that maybe they don't even know they need to feel yet, or if they are feeling fear, he takes a moment. He reframes it. Now, the first thing that Jesus does is he tells them what to fear. What to fear. Let's jump in on verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began first to say to his disciples. So he's not speaking to the religious leaders now. He's not speaking to the crowds. He's gathered his followers. Later on in verse 4, he'll call them his followers. Friends. So some of what's said might be confusing or harsh, but remember, this is in the context of a pep talk. He's encouraging his friends, and he says this to them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he tells them what to fear. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, if you're not a baker like me, Leaven or yeast, it's, it's the thing that you put inside dough so that it helps the dough to rise. Is that right? Bakers? Okay, thank you. And as you know or may not know, yeast, when you put it into bread, it's, it's almost undetectable. It's small. You don't see it. But give it time, and its influence becomes very clear. It grows. It expands. You know that it's there. And so interestingly here, Jesus, to start off this speech about fear, he's telling his disciples, don't be afraid of outward opposition. What I want you to be afraid of is an inward disposition. The Pharisees have this effect on people that's like yeast. It starts small. You don't see it at first, but it grows and it expands. And he tells us what that effect is. Hypocrisy. If you let them the Pharisees will have this effect that over time you will become a hypocritical person. And the word hypocrite, it's interesting. Our, our English word comes from the Greek word. And actually, initially, hypocrisy, hypocrite, uh, in the Greek it was a theatrical term. It talked about people who performed behind a mask. So if you've seen the masked singer, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Right, people who perform behind a mask. They're presenting something that's not true. Now, over time, it took on a moral meaning. It, t- it talked about people who, in all of life, are presenting something that's not true. Publicly, they live one way, but privately, they're living a very different way. And Jesus tells us that it's dumb. Don't do that. It's not a sustainable way to live. Check out verse 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Commentators understand this some different ways. I think what Jesus is saying is, logically, what starts out as a secret doesn't stay secret. And we really don't actually need the Bible to believe this. Just look at the news. I mean, I swear, every week, 
public figure, celebrity, politician, unfortunately, a lot of times, a pastor who acted one way but was actually very different. What Jesus is saying here, in a sense, is I don't want there to be a difference between your public life and your private life. And I think he's saying that, one, because it's just, again, it's not a sustainable, good way to live, but because as a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants a life that is fully under his lordship. He wants a life that is completely committed to him, boldly committed to him, both in public and in private. There's no distinction. There's no part of our lives that Jesus does not want to be Lord over. So don't be a hypocrite. I think this is a helpful word for us because here's the reality. As we're thinking about this idea of opposition, this idea that there are actually forces against us, things, things that don't like that we follow Jesus. One of the reasons we don't want to be hypocrites is because we don't want to give ammunition to that side. We want to be a good witness for Jesus. And so two ways, two ways to not be a hypocrite. One's obvious, one's less obvious. The first type of hypocrisy that we need to watch out for is a public faith and a private life. A public faith and a private life. I think this is probably what most of us think of when we hear the word hypocrisy. I mean, there's been more than enough examples of pastors and Christian figures who publicly all about Jesus. You know, their, their Facebook status, Christian, post a nice little picture of, the, of their quiet time in the morning, whatever. But then later it's shown, well, behind the scenes, something very different was going on. Jesus doesn't want that. He wants to be Lord, yes, over your public faith, but also what happens in private. And again, what's private doesn't stay private. It comes to light. Be a good witness to Jesus in all of life. But I, I think there's actually a, a second form of hypocrisy to be on guard against. And this one's less obvious because it's actually the, the flip side of this one. Adam, you can go to that next slide. It's the hypocrisy of a public life and a private faith. I remember I was at a, a funeral of a distant relative one time, and someone remarked, he, he was a man of a beautiful private faith. And I remember it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I thought, well, for starters, if his faith is so beautiful, why did he need to keep it private? And just in general, I think it's clear all throughout Scripture, Jesus doesn't just want to be Lord over your private life. He doesn't just want to be Lord over your time, your quiet time in the morning at the table. He doesn't just want to be Lord over that time that you spend praying in your closet before work. Jesus wants to be Lord over all of life. He doesn't just want you testifying to him through your actions in your home, but also at work with your friends wherever you are. That's actually a form of hypocrisy as well. And I think what we need to be aware of is that's actually a form of hypocrisy our culture kind of tells us to do. In essence, saying, hey, it's okay. Believe in Jesus. Have your faith. But just, just do it behind closed doors. 
Live your life, go along with the agenda. If you want to praise Jesus, that's fine. Do it at church on Sunday, do it at home. But don't bring it with you wherever you go. But that's hypocrisy as well. Jesus wants no distinction between our public life and our private life. He's Lord over all of life. Amen? So don't be a hypocrite. If there's anything to fear, fear that. Because that's not the way Jesus wants us to live. But as, our, as, as has already been made clear, choosing to live boldly for Jesus in all of life comes at a cost. It means that there will be opposition. And Jesus makes this very clear through the next thing he says. Go ahead and let's look at verse 4. He's going to tell his disciples not to fear the enemy that is out to kill them. Here's how he puts it, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. I tell you, don't, don't fear those who can kill your body. He kind of picks up this theme again in verse 11, talking about that same group of people He says, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, their version of court, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. So previously, Jesus just said, don't be afraid, or sorry, be afraid of a bad inward disposition. Then he switches and says, but but don't be afraid of the outward opposition that's coming our way. Ironically, the things that the disciples would probably be the most afraid of is the thing that Jesus says to be the least afraid of. Now, why why does he say that? Well, remember, at this point in time, there wasn't a separation between church and state. The church was the state, especially in ancient Israel. And so somebody who had great religious authority was somebody who also had great legal and political authority. The Pharisees, this pretty small actual group uh, of religious leaders in Jerusalem, they were really powerful. And they actually had the power of execution at their disposal. Remember back in Luke 4, Jesus almost was executed because of some comments he made in a synagogue. But he escapes By making himself an enemy of the religious leaders, Jesus has put a target on his back and on the back of his followers as well. They're at odds with some very powerful people in their society. You know, think back to that uh, Lord of the Rings picture. There's a scary enemy that's marching your way. And so by telling his disciples not to be afraid of persecution, don't fear those who kill the body, Jesus is, in a way, acknowledging and alerting them that there will be persecution. Don't be afraid of it, but be aware there is persecution. It kind of, it'd be like, this is a dumb example, whatever. If I said, hey, uh, go to the garage and grab the hammer for me, but by the way, beware of the giant spider that's right next to it. Right? What I'm, in essence, doing is saying, hey, uh, beware, there is a giant spider there. And by saying, don't be afraid of those who are out to kill you, he's acknowledging, but there are people out to kill you. (laughs) 
There is an enemy. There is opposition. Now, in a moment, we'll see why not to fear them, because that's a crazy thing to say. But I want us just to camp on this for a moment, because I think this is a very helpful reminder for those of us in the West, especially those of us in America. Because here's the truth, guys. While life with Jesus is the best life, it's not the easiest life. If you are looking for the most uncomplicated, safe life, Jesus actually isn't the root to that. I think about these words from John 10. He says, if, talking again to his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus is he's letting us know, hey, when you say yes to me, there's a real enemy. There will be opposition. There will be persecution to you. And it would be unloving to pretend that that's not the case. And I get that's it's complicated for us, right? Because we live in a world, thankfully, of amazing religious tolerance. I mean, like, look around you right now. We are in one of the bigger buildings in Long Beach. We have no fear that someone's going to come in here and drag us off to court. It's amazing. And it's something certainly we should be praying that the rest of our brothers and sisters around the world experience, because many don't. But I think sometimes because we don't live in the fear of death, we can do something unhelpful, which is just kind of think, well, we've moved beyond that. I know for 2,000 years, Christians have faced persecution, but like we've kind of cracked the code. We, we know how to be cool with Jesus and cool with the world at the same time. Maybe persecution happens somewhere, but, you know, Satan's done attacking America. He's done attacking Long Beach. But I don't think that's what Scripture says. Even in a time of religious tolerance, Satan still hates the kingdom of God. He is still opposed to it. And so to think that that's not the case, it's just unwise. Now, now hear me loud and clear. I am not saying go find persecution. I think that's the other unhelpful response is we can read a passage like this and say, well, I don't feel persecuted, so let me go search for it. That person just honked at me because I have a fish sticker on my car. No, it's because you cut them off, right? Let's not like try to generate and find persecution, but let's also not pretend that there won't be any opposition to us. Here's the reality. Saying yes to Jesus with all your life, public, private, living boldly for him in all of your life may lead to death. Now, not necessarily physical death, although for many around the world, that is the case. But things that feel like death. For example, probably one of the biggest risks that we face in in publicly, boldly living for Jesus is death of status. Well, I don't want to look uncool. I don't want to look unintelligent or backwards. I don't want to look like a stick in the mud, a buzzkill. 
So I don't really want to bring up the fact that I'm a Christian. I don't want to actually pattern my life over what Jesus has called me to. Because I'm afraid of the death of status I might experience. Another death we might feel is death of a dream. Like I'm finally in my dream job, but now that I'm there, I'm realizing that to do what they want me to do or to stand what they want me, what they want me to stand for, that's going to put me in conflict for what Jesus would want me to do or what Jesus would want me to stand for. You know, maybe I finally made the varsity team, but to keep my spot means that I'm never going to be able to go to church again. I have to be there every Sunday, every Wednesday. And I know Jesus commands us to, to meet together, but my dream's going to die if I say yes to that. Maybe even smaller, the, the smallest one is just death of comfort. A lot of us, we just want to get through life. We don't want to raise any trouble. Just want to keep our heads down and not be noticed. And that's understandable. So the call to live boldly at all times for Jesus, it might make us uncomfortable. It's a, a dumb example, like pales in comparison to, to what so much of the world faces. But I remember for me, junior year of high school, I don't know why I, or sorry, junior year of college, I don't know why I did this, but our professor, uh, you know, what do you guys want to be after you graduate from college? And it was a film class, and so probably should have said something related to film, but I was like, well, I think I want to be a pastor. And he really took notice of that. And if there was one thing I could count on for the rest of the semester was every single class, there would be at least one, if not multiple jokes made at my expense. Oh, the pastor's here. Oh, I shouldn't make that joke. I don't want to offend the Christian. You know, I'm not very, I'm not a lot like Jesus. I hope that doesn't offend you. Every single class. Now, is that a life or death scenario? No. Did my professor hate me? No, I think he probably liked me. That's why he was poking jokes at me. But it wasn't comfortable. I mean, it sucked showing up every day to class knowing, okay, at some point today, all the attention is going to be put on me. I have no control over it. A joke's going to be made that I have no opportunity to defend. It, it didn't feel good. It made me uncomfortable. Now, I did not need to say that I wanted to be a pastor in that class. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that was something necessarily I was called to do. But the point's still there. When we just show Jesus in life, it might mean death of something. At the most extreme, loss of life, but death of status, a dream, comfort. Jesus does make life complicated. He makes it the best life possible, but not the easiest life. There's a risk involved. And so I, a question that I think would be helpful for us to ponder is, well, what are you afraid of? And not in like a, what are you afraid of? But like, no, genuinely. What are, what are you afraid of? What, what's the thing that you want to live boldly for Jesus in all of life? What's the thing that makes that hard? What's the thing that makes that scary? What's the fear that makes you say, well, I don't know if I want to bring up Jesus here. I don't know if I want to live according to the Bible right now in this scenario. 
Is it fear of losing status, of a dream, of comfort? What is it for you? I think it's helpful for us to name that, not so that we can feel guilty, but so that we give Jesus an opportunity to speak into that fear. What do we fear? Because whatever it is, Jesus tells us, don't fear that. But the question is, well, what do I do then, Jesus, with the fear that I have? What am I supposed to do? I can't just stop being afraid. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us alone here. But he reframes our fear. He tells us why not to fear. And the short answer is, is because God is on your side. I want to warn you. (laughs) We're going to go through the rest of what he says. And it sounds really harsh. It actually, a lot of it does not sound like an encouragement. But remember the context. This is, this is him talking to his disciples, his friends. And so even if it sounds kind of blunt or harsh, it's like a, a coach giving a pep talk before a football game. It's strong words, but it's words that are said in love. God is on your side. He meets us in our fear. Here's how. Let's say that the fear that you have, the thing that might keep you from being bold for Jesus is because fear of of some power that you would have to speak to. Might be the coach on your team who wants you at every practice on every Sunday. Uh, Might be a professor in a classroom who might make fun of you. Maybe it's your boss at work who if you say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. They have a lot of power. If, If that's the fear that keeps us living boldly for Jesus, here's the good news, is God the Father meets you in that fear. Look at verse five. Let's go back to verse four. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Verse five. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What Jesus is saying here is, look, if the fear that you have is related to power, well, I'll give you a better power to fear. The most that the Pharisees can do to you is kill you. And then their power is over. They have power over life and death. God has power over life and death and heaven and hell. Their power ends on earth. His power begins, not, his power is on earth and begins after earth as well too. So if there's any power to pick to be afraid of, don't be afraid of the Pharisees. Be afraid of the Father. But at the same time, don't be afraid of him. Because that power is on your side. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, look, you know that rotisserie chicken you bought at Costco last week for five bucks? Amazing deal, by the way. You took it home, you ate it, you threw it away, you forgot about it. It's done. God watched every single moment of that chicken's life. 
as it was incubated, all the way to it was being prepared and roasted so that you could eat it. He followed every single moment of its life. If God cares that much about a bird that's sold for a few dollars, think how much he cares about you. Your, your friends, your family, they can probably say your favorite color, your favorite meal, your favorite movie. God knows how many hairs are on your head. Even the person who loves you most in the world, they have no clue how many hairs you have on your head. But the God who has the power over life and death and heaven and hell, he is so for you, so attentive to you, He's counted the hairs on your head. He's close to you. He loves you. So don't be afraid of the powers that are against you because look at the power that's on your side. And it's a power that's completely, totally, lovingly for you. God the Father meets you in your fear. But, but what if, okay, well, what if my fear is not about power? What if it's rejection? Well, I would speak up boldly for Jesus in all of life, but I don't want to be rejected by my friends, by my family, by whoever. Well, here's the good news is God the Son meets you in that fear. Jesus says, let me help reframe that. Verse 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Again, we read that, we're like, wait, is, is this an encouragement? It doesn't sound very encouraging, but it is. Because what Jesus is saying is, look, yes, there will be people who will reject me, They'll reject the, the testimony that the Spirit gives to them about the forgiveness of sins. They will deny that I am who I say I am. And you know what? At the end of time, they'll be rejected by me as well. But no matter what rejection you face on earth, know that it will pale in comparison to the acceptance that you'll receive from me. Again, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. I remember I had a friend in high school who wanted to ask a girl to prom, which to me, even that in itself would have been terrifying. I would have tried to do it with the least amount of people around, so if she said no, you know, I wouldn't be ashamed. But what he wanted to do was uh, do it in the middle of the quad with all of school watching and through a flash mob. I remember thinking, I really hope she says yes. <laughs> she said yes. Now, yeah, it, it would have been cool to, for her just to say yes, even if, you know, he had asked her after school at the bus stop. But there was so much joy because all of school saw this moment take place. It was a huge celebration. The joy that he felt, it must have been huge. And Jesus is saying, you can look forward to the day when I will accept you, when I will identify with you before all of heaven. I mean, imagine that. Standing before all the angels of God and seeing Jesus look your way and say, hey, I know you. 
get over here. Everybody, I want you to meet my friend. It's true on earth that identifying with Jesus might mean that we lose some friends. It might mean you get rejected. But that pales in comparison to the acceptance that you will feel with the God who says, I have forgiven you, I love you, you are my friend. And one day all people will know that. But maybe the reason that we fear rejection is because we don't want to be alone or fear opposition or persecution, it's because we don't want to be alone. I know I feel that a lot. I don't want to be the only person who's standing for Jesus. That sounds tough. And so just to finish things off, Jesus brings in the third member of the Trinity here as well to tell us you're never alone. Verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He's saying, look, no matter how much you might feel alone, you aren't. The Spirit of God that hovered over the waters before the world was created, who for 2,000 years has, has empowered God's people to stand up to giants and and stop all the attacks that Satan brings their way. The God who empowered scripture to be written. The God who has kept the church alive and thriving for 2,000 years. That spirit is in you. So you never have to be afraid because you are never alone. If you stand boldly for me, you might be the only one doing it. But you're not the only one there. My spirit is with you, empowering you. So don't be afraid. I don't know exactly what it is for you, whatever that fear might be that makes us say, ah, I want to be hypocritical. I don't want to live boldly for Jesus in all of life. Whatever it is, fear of power, of rejection, of loneliness, whatever, God meets you in it. The God of all power, of love and acceptance, of presence, that God is with you, Grace Long Beach. So like those guys following Aragorn into battle, let's follow Jesus. We don't know what this life will bring. We don't know how easy or difficult it might be, but no matter what it brings, God is with you. Thanks be to that God. Well, band, you can go ahead and come up on stage And we're going to transition into a time of communion. I think this is a a great follow-up to this sermon because uh, communion is the reminder that God is with us. I mean, truly, if there's one thing that we have to fear, it's the fear that we are on the bad side of God, that we have offended him, that he's against us. But communion gives us the reminder that that fear has been dealt with because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. And so as people who don't need to live in fear of punishment, and as people who need a reminder that God is with us, we're gonna partake communion together. So if you're a server, go ahead, please come forward. Uh, In a moment, you'll be dismissed by Rose. Uh, You'll receive bread, and there is wine in the clear cups, juices in the purple cups. We ask that you take it, 
and bring it back to your seat and wait uh, to partake until we do it together as a family. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll take communion. Jesus, thank you that we do not have to be afraid because you are with us. My prayer over myself and this church is that you will make us into a people who live boldly, who are not hypocritical, but who give all of life to your lordship, even if that means that sometimes we might be up against some opposition. But Jesus, just remember of the fact, help us to remember the fact that we have been called into mission to be a witness to your kingdom. And so help us to do that well, trusting fully that you are with us. Remind us that as we take communion together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.